last week we began to look at culture and the need to strengthen our culture in church life. Part of our stretching and strengthening from the year is about strengthening and stretching as in culture. We need to strengthen our culture. It's a behavior. It's how we act. It's what we do. Uh, it's been said, we said last week, that culture eats vision for breakfast. You can have as big a vision and mission statement, purpose statement, as much as you like, but it's your culture which determines what kind of church you will have. And sometimes it's hard to articulate, but you can feel it. Every place, organization, home, family, school, sports teams got a culture. And church has got a culture. We did look at Acts chapter 2 and how their culture was a uh, and looked at the culture characteristics at the end of chapter two, the beginning, the first church, and how that culture that they carried, that culture and their characteristics had consequences, culture consequences, but they committed, they devoted themselves to have a culture commitment, which was God-honoring and God-pleasing, and we want to be the same. No, it was Acts 2, because we're a different church. But today we're gonna look at, in a few minutes about a New Testament portion, which involves the five culture values we have in your life. We have five culture words, values. We have a lot of things. Cultures are a lot broader than that, but there's five specific emphases that we want to talk about or feature in this church. Now, these five words have been up on that wall and board for years, but let me suggest that if you're new to this church, you probably haven't a clue what they are. And that's me being gracious to those who have been here for a little while. Okay, so if I'm honest, most of you who have been here for a little while probably don't remember, I don't know what they are. They're words on a board, but they need to be more than words on a board. They need to be in our hearts and in our practice and our actions and our attitudes in life. You may be seeing the words and wonder, what are they? What are those random words stuck up on a board? They are over here, we'll mention them. Like, well, yes, as a church, our purpose is to reach, inspire, serve, and equip. Everything we do should be about doing that or fulfilling one of those purposes. However, how we do it is a culture. How we act, how we behave, what we tolerate, what we don't tolerate, how we act, the how behind the what and the why of what church does is our culture. And as pastor, let me apologize for you not knowing what our culture values are, and I mean that is because we've not, we've not stressed them enough, we've not spoken enough about them, we've not focused enough on them over the past little while. But that's going to change and over the next few months, two or three months, we're going to stress our culture and our culture values. Hopefully we can stress our culture values without stressing you in the process. But if we do that's just an advance notice. We may be stressed, but we want to emphasize because we believe that culture is important. Myself and other leaders in the church feel that we need to strengthen what the culture of our church is. We need to strengthen and emphasize our church culture. And I'm going to read a portion from the Old Testament, as I said, from Second Chronicles chapter 7, the bit before the bit we all know of by heart, in verse 14. But I'm reading from New Living Translation. And we hear, when Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. Who wouldn't want to be part of a church like that? Huh? 
When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell down on the ground and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good. They actually sang the goodness of God. And no, they didn't, okay? If it had been written, they would have sang it anyway. His faithful love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices to the Lord. King Solomon offered sacrifice of 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. That was probably messy. And so the king, sometimes we don't want messy church. That was messy church. And so the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. The priests took their assigned positions and so did the Levites who were singing his faithful love endures forever. They accompanied the singing with music from the instruments King David had made for praising the Lord. Across from the Levites, the priests blew the trumpets while all Israel stood. Solomon then constructed the central area of the courtyard in front of the Lord's temple. He offered burnt offerings and the fat of peace offerings there because the bronze altar he had built could not contain all the burnt offerings, grain offerings and sacrificial fat. For the next seven days, Solomon and all Israel celebrated the festival of shelters. A large congregation had gathered from as far away as Lebo, Hamath in the north and the brook of Egypt in the south. On the eighth day, they had a closing ceremony for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days and the festival of shelters for seven days. Then at the end of the celebration, Solomon sent the people home. They were all joyful and glad because the Lord had been so good to David and Solomon and his people, Israel. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Got that, the seven, seven days they celebrated the dedication of the altar and seven days the festival of shelters. Then at the end they went home. Okay, so in 14 days we're going to send you home from today's. Just, just kidding. Okay. This is Old Testament church type of thing. Symbolic of the church. They built this temple, this church building. They come, presence of God's filling the place. And one of our five, the first of our five culture values that we see in here is unity. If you read here, it says the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. The king and all the people offered sacrifices to the Lord. Now the king led the way. And I would trust and hope that in New Life Church, whichever leadership position people are in, that they lead the way in the culture values of the house. Leaders have to lead and we need to lead. And the first culture value here was a sense of unity, a sense of togetherness, all the people, all the people. There's a sense of unity and in this house we value and we're going to stress the value of unity and togetherness in all that we do. There's two quite incredible scriptures in the Old Testament. One in Psalm 133 we know so well about how wonderful, how pleasant it is for brothers dwell in unity. And it goes on to say, as an example, there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. God blesses unity. I believe you can get a lot of stuff that's not quite right in the church, but if you've got a sense of togetherness and unity, you've got a sense of the blessing of God on you. And we need that sense, and we want that sense of the blessing of God. There's another scripture which is incredible, and we've heard of it before in Genesis 11, when a group of ungodly people wanted to build a tower to get to heaven, the Tower of Babel, it's called. And this is what God said. 
the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. And that's ungodly people. Because they're united, because they speak the same thing, nothing they set out to do will be impossible. How incredibly powerful is that? And that's not just some philosopher. That is God himself who's speaking this. It's important. And the enemy knows it's important. And that's why he'll try to do everything to bring a sense of disunity, disharmony into any church and into any gathering. Now, it's not always easy. Let's be real. It's not always easy. Not everybody's as wonderful as you are. Not everyone is as easy to get along with as you are. Turn to the person. No, don't. Turn to the person. It's not always easy, but we need to keep working at it. Ephesians 4 and 3 says this. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. I.e., Paul recognises, this is not easy, guys, but it's worth the effort. There's a sense of God blessing on you if you make the effort to keep united. No, I recognise that not everybody will agree with me and my decisions and what I do. But you know what? I recognise your right to be wrong. And I've got to respect your right to be wrong. There needs to be a sense of together is powerful. It's incredibly powerful for us to keep united. And I'm just giving an overview today of the five and they'll be emphasised further on over the next coming weeks by different people. You know, Stephen in the Acts of the Apostles, Acts 7, is telling the council or church council about the history and how God was working. And they gave this reference to Moses who went out one day and saw two Israelites fighting together. And Moses says, what are you guys fighting one another for? Your brothers. Don't tell him that Moses had killed an Egyptian the day before or anything like that. But Moses saw your brothers, guys, why are you fighting with one another? What you've got in common is far more important than anything you're disagreeing about. Let's get this sorted together. No unity is important. That's the first culture value. The second one is excellence. The priests took the assigned positions. They accompanied the singing with music from the instruments King David had made. The Levites were also singing. I.e., they got the best people for the best jobs. They got the people who were good at what they were doing. I've said this before, God is not just after your availability. He's interested in your ability. And if he can match your availability to your ability, wow, that's what he wants to do. Our gifts, our talents are God-given. But the church, sometimes it's as long as we're available. No, we need to do things right. We need to have an attitude where they prepare things, they got things right, they prepared for properly, they got things ready. And we sometimes have an attitude of, let's just go with the flow. Oh, it's only the church. God loves us, people love us, let's just go and let's just do our best. Do your best, but make sure you're doing your best. Excellence is doing your best. Do what you can do. It means when you say you'll be somewhere, you're somewhere. It means if you're doing something, you're prepared to do it. It means doing it the best we can for God. It's not just the church. It's the church. You know, I'll probably upset some people here. 
But in the spirit of unity, just bear with me. Okay. It used to be an attitude in church. Church needs something. Okay. I'll give it. Because I'm getting a new thing anyway and I can give my old one to the church. There was a time years ago we needed a TV for kids ministry. hundred years ago, so you know thinking it was. Somebody who was getting a new telly, they decided to donate their TV to the kids because they were getting a new one. And it so blessed others, it encouraged two other people who were throwing out their tellies to donate their tellies and they were getting a new one. So we had three TVs. Exceeding abundantly more you could ask or think. Only problem is, the three we got weren't working. But we are given to the church. Because it's not good enough for us, but it's good enough for the church. Come on, guys. Come on. And that's a simple example. It's not excellence. Now, there are some things that the church can do and use that you give. But it's the mindset that says, well, it's no good enough for me. Let's just do it, donate it. Let's give it to the church. Told you I'd upset some of you. But we need a mindset. No, we want the best and the excellence in the house. This is what Psalm 78, verse 72 says of David. He cared for them with a true heart and led them with skillful hands. We focus on David, a man after God's own heart, and his heart was great, but he was skillful. What he did, he did well. And here, this people got the right people doing the right things and prepared properly, and they did it well. Listen, we need an attitude. You know what? This is, this is the king of kings we're doing it for. This is for the glory of God. This is the church. It's the greatest thing on planet Earth. And we're doing it for King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the greatest person. And everything we do in church life, let's do the best we can. But listen, the culture is it's not just in church life. I'm my work. Let me do the best I can at my work. And whatever else I'm doing, let me do the best because I have a culture and a spirit of excellence. I want to do things well. I want a heart that does and honors God. Number three is honor. Now, the atmosphere of worship says, all Israel stood. Pastor Glenn Barrett, who's our national leader for Sims of God, made this statement some time ago, honor stands, honor kneels, but honor never sits. God is into honor. And I appreciate this can be taken to extremes and extremes and can be harmful and potentially with leaders. And I know it has been abused as far as leadership is concerned and the honoring gone too far with leaders, though I do agree with the principle. But I want to, new life to have a culture where we honor one another by our actions, by our speech. God honoring is a godly principle. The very first commandment which had a promise to it was honor your father and your mother so that you can live long on earth. Okay. And let me just add, that doesn't say until you reach a certain age or to, until they reach a certain age. It's honor your father and mother for as long as they're alive, as long as you're alive. But my kids are not here to hear this. Okay. I'll encourage them to watch the Kenny online. No, there's a reward in honoring. This is what God thinks about honoring. Those who honor me, I will honor when Psalm 2 and 30. When we honor God and we honor people, God honors. 1 Peter 2, 17. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, 
I honour those in authority, whether I agree with their politics or anything. I know that's not always easy, but we're called to honour. The body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 23, the parts we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourself. One version says this, outdo one another in showing honour. We need a culture in the house which is an honouring culture. We need to honour with our actions and with our speech and we need that in the house. The fourth one is generosity. The bronze altar that Solomon had built couldn't hold all the offerings that came in. Couldn't contain the burnt offerings, the green offering, the sacrificial fat, i.e. the offering containers weren't big enough to contain all the money that people were bringing in. The online giving system broke because there was too many people using it that day. Listen, I know when we mention generosity, everybody starts thinking, oh, money. And some even think, oh, they're going to ask him for money again. They're talking about money again. I'll just throw this in. How often do you talk about money at home? Just throw that in. Let me just suggest it's more than we talk about money here. Okay, but generosity is more than money. It's a time, it's a talent, it's a hospitality, it's a gifting, it's a words of encouragement, it's a home, it's everything that we have. It's been generous in an attitude that I'm given. It's available to be used for the kingdom and the glory of God. But money is an easy way to put this, to get the mindset. It's not about the money, it's the mindset. Okay, sometimes we think tithing's great. Sometimes I think, I've paid my tithe, great, I've done my job. No. Oh. <laughs> this is the second part where I'm going to upset some people. Okay. I believe in tithing. And if you look, Israel got into an awful mess. Okay. And if you read Malachi 3, here's the deal. Why are we in a mess? Here's the answer. Because you've cheated God. You've stopped giving your tithe to God. But it's not irretrievable. If you bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there's room enough, or there's food enough for everyone, if you do that, I'm going to open the windows of heaven for you, and I'm going to protect you from the enemy and the devourer comes. Aye, God's saying, here's the problem, guys. You stop tithing. It's putting me first. You stop putting me first, your finance. But if you do it, Listen, what? I'm going to pour out the windows of heaven for you. And also, I'm going to protect you against the enemy and all his attacks that are coming on your life. Now, it's Old Testament. And some people say, oh, that's the law. That's the law. We don't live under the law anymore. It actually was before the law because Abraham, in response to the blessing of God in his life in Genesis 14, says, because you're blessing my life, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give a tenth back to you just an appreciation of your blessing on my life. God then established it in the law and paraphrased, this was it. You obey my law, you give me that tenth. You know what? In return, under this covenant relationship I have with you, I'll give you and I'll protect you and I'll bless you. That's a covenant relationship. So they're basically saying, okay, we'll give a tithe. An appreciation of that covenant, Old Testament covenant, legalistic relationship I've got with you, we're prepared to give you the tithe. Anyway, we don't live under law. But tell you what, we live under a better covenant. 
we've got a better relationship. We've got a better standing with God. We know the sins are forgiven. We have a living relationship with God that the Old Testament didn't have. We have his favor on our life. We're redeemed. We've got so much. And if they're prepared to say, you know what? We're prepared to honor you by giving you that bit based on a, a difficult covenant relationship to keep. How much more is grace under a grace covenant where all that we have and all God's promises are yes and amen to us, how much more should we say in response to what I'm prepared to give to you? Here's my problem with tithing. I don't have a problem with tithing. I think it's right and I think it's good. But I sometimes think when we talk about tithing, we're not talking generosity. We're talking in a mindset that says, well, how little do I need to get away with giving? I used to be treasurer and I'm not knowing the names but there used to be tithes given into the, the offering, checks given into the offering. Told you I'm going to upset some people. Please see my heart. And it was like, I'll make an example. It was like, say it was £123.52. Didn't even round it up. Okay. I mean, at least round it up. Okay. But you know why? Because the mindset is, as long as I'm given a tenth. It's how little they need to give. But know what we want a culture of how much can I give? We want a culture, how much of my time can I give? How much of my money can I give? How much is, am I available to help others? How much is, how often is my home available? Is my car available? It's not, oh, what do I need to do? It's what can I do? It's what can I do? We don't want a, what do I have to do? A culture in this house should be, what, how much can I give? How much can I do? How much time is it can I give to whatever is required? That's the kind of culture we want. How, much time, how many times can I praise somebody enough, encourage somebody enough? Well, there's never enough times. There's never a limit to how much you can encourage somebody to pray for somebody, to say, hey, guy, with you, for you. I'm available for you. Money is the easy way, but it illustrates a mindset. You know what? It's not about what do I need to do. It's what can I get to do? What do I get to do? What can, how much can we give? How much of ourselves can we give? And in case I've upset everybody too much, the band are going to come up. Because the last one of a five is Celebration. After the offering, for the next seven days, all Israel in unity celebrated the festival of shelters. On the eighth day, they had a closing ceremony, for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days, and the festival of shelters for seven days, 14 days of celebration. Then they went home joyful and glad, because the Lord had been so good to David and Solomon and to his people Israel. Come on, we've sang about the goodness of God. Has God been good to us? Has God been kind to us? Has God been faithful to us? Listen, there are some churches which have, and please hear this right, a kind of solemn, more solemn culture in the house in this respect, and that's fine for them. There's nothing that's right and wrong. Every house has a different type of culture and how they do things. And because somebody is different from us doesn't mean that we are right and they're wrong. Because God is so varied and so vast that he's got, he can express himself and his honor and his presence in so many different ways. 
But I want to say as pastor of this church, one of our culture values is celebration. We want an atmosphere of celebration in the house. We want an atmosphere where we celebrate things that we just celebrate because God's so good to us. They were celebrating for 14 days because God was so good to them. And God has been good to us even in a bad day. God is still a good God. God is still for us. God is still with us. And there's always something we can celebrate. Whether it's salvation, whether it's babies been delivered, whatever healings, we want a culture of celebration in the house. We really do. Those five words, some of you didn't even know they're on the board. They're not in the same order. But this portion, this Old Testament church had a sense of unity. So the enemy tries everything to destroy it. You know, during COVID, there was a sense of people coming together. But so how quickly it dissipates. We're in a more divided nation, divided country, divided world than ever before. And the enemy's thrown everything he can, but not so the church should become, but you can throw out your light. But you know what? We've got a sense of togetherness and unity. And we can commit to be together. And maybe we disagree, but we've the right to honor one another, respect one another. And we've got a heart in the house. We're going to do things properly. We're going to do things right. We've got a heart. We want to be generous with everything that we do. And you know what? We're going to celebrate often because God's up to celebration. Come on.